Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from Coltsploitation.com and I'm joined with my co-host Martin. How's it going? I'm pretty good. How about you? Sweating my ass off. I know, it's a very very hot one out. Um, luckily, that heat wave is going to be passing us by now. But yeah, For a couple been, of days. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been quite balmy lately. Uh, so that has not been fun, and it really does not put you in the, the Halloween spirit. When it's 90 degrees out and humid. We're trying to get into the Halloween spirit because we are still, uh, actually, I would say, into the middle of Remake-A-Ween. We're, we're going to be at the halfway mark. Um, and, yeah, we're at Remake-A-Ween number four, and it's still fucking 90 degrees outside. It's not fun. And uh, we're not even drinking in Oktoberfest today, which is surprising because it's not normally surpri- by it's, it's not well, surprising well it's not surprising on a 90 degree day but it is surprising for this period of time since we're almost heading into October and it should be dropping into the 50s and 40s at night where it's a nice time to enjoy a bonfire and a a, a nutmeggy spicy Oktoberfest and it's it's not that time of year right now i guess um so we'll we'll get into that a little bit in our beer talk, but uh, yeah, it's it's been quite balmy, and it's hard to get into that Halloween spirit when it's like that. Uh, but we do, you know, we're we're trucking along here. We got to keep going, even though it doesn't feel like it outside. We've we've got to keep going with our our special. So we've got a new remake for you today. We've done this uh, the the original film on the show not too long ago, actually a couple probably a couple months ago now. Um, so we're talking about House on a Haunted Hill, the 1999 version, um, which was probably... Yeah, we should have done that for Slasher Month. Well, we could have done slasher. it for the 90 Slasher Month, um, although it's le- I would say it's more of like a supernatural thriller than a but slasher. The house, but, it, but the house is the slasher. That's true. Um, God damn it, if we can consider the faculty a slasher, mm-hmm. then we... Yeah, we then, cheated a little bit on the well, fact. Then we'll, well, then we'll just bend the rules. Yeah, I mean, House on Haunted Hill, I think, was a big part of uh, movie movie fans and especially horror fans growing up in the 2000s because it was one of those films that was very stylized and it took hold, especially when it hit uh, home video uh, in, and then on like TV syndication because it did get played on TV quite a bit. Um, despite seems pointless, right? I mean, <laughs> despite some of the nudity and, and violence that they probably, and, and swearing that they probably had to cut out. Uh, it did get played quite a bit. I actually, I think I remember one scene that I saw like on sci-fi channel. Um, the scene where there's just the woman that's in the water. And she's naked in the water. And I, I'm pretty sure that that was a scene that they just pretty much blatantly had to blur out, like, nipples and butt. 
you know, because a lot of times uh, there's some like tricky editing that they can do with with uh, films when they hit TV, where they have to, you know, they they kind of are able to cut around those areas. That one's not really one you can cut around so much, um, but I do remember that quite well. And House on Haunted Hill is one of those those movies that sits right in with me with 13 ghosts and also ghost ship. Um, oh God, because they all, ship. they all are very reminiscent of each other. Um, not only just because they are inspired by previous horror films. Um, especially- ghost ship was made by dark, uh, dark castle too, right? I 13 ghosts was, but I know that, um, 13 ghosts was, I, I don't know about ghost ship. I'd have to look that up. Um, because they do all have the same um, feel to them, and uh, yep, it looks like yeah they did make Ghost Ship as well. Um, so same, same you know same production company. They do all feel very similar. Uh, they all have that same sort of uh, gothic haunted house look to them. They have the same type of ghosts. Um, so they're all very, very similar to each other, and I think they they are very nostalgic to me. I don't know about you. House on Haunted Hill is. Um, I didn't see Ghost Ship until we saw it that one one year at uh, your mother in law's. Right when we were doing the little horror fest, yeah. horror movie fest. Um, and I don't think I've ever, I I don't think I've seen Thirteen Ghosts. Oh, not at all, huh? I don't think. I well, have. I would say that maybe it, actually, you know what? Maybe I think I have seen it, but I, it doesn't it doesn't resonate. I mean, if I if I saw clips from it, I could probably tell. Like, I think not. you definitely could. It's the one where they have to put on the 3D glasses in order to see the ghosts. Does that ring a bell? They have to actually put on like glasses in order to see what's in front of them. Otherwise, there it's just pretty it's like invisible. Tony Shalhoub is in it. <laughs> no, it's not not really drawing any. Like I said, I'd, I'd, have to, I'd have to watch like a clip or something. All right. be like, well, oh yeah, that would have that could have been another one that we decided to do because that that technically is a remake as well. Um, so, but alas, well, I'm glad we went with this. We went with House on Haunted Hill because you're more familiar with it. We did House, the original House on Haunted Hill previously, so it just fits. It, it makes sense. Um, so quickly before we really dive into it in the the meat of the podcast episode, um. So uh, you you said you've seen it before and you seem to have some sort of nostalgia for it like what what makes you come back to House on Haunted Hill or what what really sticks out to you when um it's one of the movies i can vividly remember as a child scaring the shit out of me mm. so it was like uh I thought I was fucking cr- being 9 years old watching i thought it was creepy as hell hell okay so you did see it like when it came out some somewhere right on VHS yeah Oh, the VHS as uh, as we're talking, yeah, has a nice reference to a uh, VHS rental company. Nice golden time, you know, when we were all innocent, (laughs) when we uh, we couldn't just pirate films or get them on Netflix or streaming. But no, uh, no, I remember being like totally creeped out and like the shit scared out of me. Like I thought um, some of the parts in it, like in the beginning, with the whole rioting in the asylum and the orderly getting stabbed in the neck through with like the pencils that's like creeped the hell out of me mm-hmm. um the whole like uh when price is in the oh the yeah like the <laughs> medieval torture chamber thing or whatever psychotic break uh 
I yeah. I don't know ch- yeah chamber that they just like oh Yo, you haven't are you not feeling very well mentally mm-hmm. right now let's just stick you in this really <laughs> weird spinning thing and yeah. hopefully it'll go away or yeah whatever. I thought that was like creepy as shit as a kid but it's one of the movies I do remember as like a kid being like oh this that's not fun so it it does have a lot of nostalgia for you then because I don't even know if I saw it that young I think I saw it later on. You know, not when I was nine or ten or how, whenever this, this came out in 1999. So I would have been about ten years old. Uh, I don't think I saw it then, but I saw it a little bit later. And yeah, I, th- I can see why this would stick out to you or someone as a younger person because it does have those moments. Um, as we'll talk about a little bit, it has the spinny head motion moments. The, you know, the the ones where the heads just kind of are a blur as they snap around quickly back and forth. It has that sort of thing that was very prevalent in the 90s, not just Especially in, in music videos. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not just in horror films, but in music videos. and um, Which is funny, because the other day, I, was, I just, like, when I got home from work, I was like, just on a really big Alice in Chains kick, I was listening to, uh, like, Alice in Chains on YouTube, so I was just, like, going through their music videos, and I was watching them. And just watching them, I was like, my God, how so early 90s the videos are. I mean, granted, that's when, like, they were made, but just, like, thinking about it, it's like, Shit like they do and like the camera shots and like kind of the style and aesthetic. It's like you could like watch a Blind Melon video, you could watch an REM video, you could watch them all. And, like they all have that same fucking you know look and appeal. Same thing. Like you could watch like a Tom Petty video from the '94 when he like it's good to be king. It looks exactly like a, like a fucking '90s video. I love it. I, I just I absolutely love like you know like wow, bringing back memories having like MTV on. Or VH1, like, the living room, and just, like, here's, they're just playing music videos all day, and here's all the, you know, shit that's going on. I wonder why we had that fascination with, uh, heads whipping around and spinning around and, uh, morphing the facial features. So that seemed like a, it was a big thing at that time. Um, it's kind of gone away now. I think we find that more I, cheesy than anything else. I do think there, and we'll talk about it when we get to the actual review, but I do think watch after watching this uh, movie again, there's a lot of aesthetics from this film that I think have been kind of carried on and lifted through certain franchises. You mean as in like they took inspiration from yeah, like, stuff like this and then and then like went further with it? Yeah. With what they could do now? Okay. Yeah. We'll talk about that. Uh, when we get to, I don't, I don't know, like if, and I can't really think of any like film off the top of my head from around this time period that's kind of got the overall same aesthetics. I mean, there are some things like the consistent fucking green lighting, you know. Well, I would definitely say that it's any any of the Dark Castle pictures are very very similar in terms of production design and ghost appearances, stuff like that. Um, yeah, in terms of the actual, uh, I I think I know what you mean when you say they've lifted some of the ideas from, from this and like how ghosts look and how they are shown and stuff like that. I think I know what you're talking about. So we'll get into that a little bit later in the, in the show. Um, first let's take a break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about the, the beer that we have and the special occasion that brings it to us. Cause I, I do want to bring attention to how I got this beer as well. So stay with us. Hey, do you like jokes? I love jokes. Do you like video games? <laughs> yeah, I love video games. Do you like geek culture? Really cool. Awesome shit. Well, fuck. Yeah, I do. Do you like murder? What? 
Check out Game Over Game On. They're on podcast services around the globe. What did you say? Also, follow them on YouTube under The Go-Go Show. It says something about murder. Smash that motherfucking like button. No, it's definitely murder. You said murder. No, I didn't. And if you get lost, go to GameOverGameOn.com. It keeps the demons away. The fuck are you talking about? Hope to hear from you soon. You will not. You will not hear from me soon. I'm calling the police. No, you won't. All right, guys. So we're back uh, for beer talk, and uh, today we have a new beer on the show. Thanks to Hopsy, which is a, a new um, growler. It's actually they're technically growlets, uh, but it's oh, a growler <laughs> um, distribution that you can order online, and it sends local beers to your door. So um, this was kind of cool because you know I use Untapped quite a bit. Um, and untapped, I, I just like to check into beer. I like to know what I've had, what I, what I want to try. And it helps me sort through that. So, um, but after a while, after I checked into a few things, they sent me a promo code for Hopsy. And, uh, so I looked at it and it was a promo code for, uh, a pack of four growlets, uh, that you, you get to select from three different, uh, packs that Hopsy offers, uh, they offer like a hoppy pack. Um, there's like a New York selections pack, and then I think there's just one that's like uh, selections from the the people who run Hopsy. So you you know you could leave it up to them. You don't really know what you're getting. So I picked the hoppy pack because so, I like pale ales and IPAs and stuff like that. And it's been fucking warm lately, so might as well go with something like that. Uh, so I uh, I used my promo code, brought it down to a trial the trial. Uh, pack was only 20 bucks 20 bucks for four growlettes 32 ounces each and uh you know you get it shipped to your door and free shipping as well which normally there's probably like a 15 dollar delivery cost for probably uh, for, for you know for shipping because they they ship it cold packed you get like two big ice packs with it in the in the uh, package you get a it's like a huge box um comes with like this foamy stuff to keep it cold so they're spending a lot of money on just the shipping itself so twenty dollars for four growlets pretty good deal now my question uh, kind of question i have is how can they sh- i mean I, I don't know but how do they ship alcohol like what kind of license do you need for that i'm not really sure but i mean i know you can ship alcohol it depends on the state just because like I, to me like i think that's something like bre- like brewers should do well like, when you go to their store like online like, wouldn't it be great? Like, if you, I think that's yeah. where Hopsy comes in because they are doing the shipping for the breweries, although they were filled locally at the at the brewery. And not only that, I would say not only that, it also gets like it's complicated too, especially in, like in New York. Cause I know, like um, when I worked at Stewart's, like they had a one way license. They could bring you know the Stewart's trucks could bring us whatever that we ordered in booze. But if something was broken and damaged, you couldn't have them take it back. Mm-hmm. They couldn't. They weren't they weren't authorized to. Yeah, to, to carry it, you'd have to wait for the, a vendor to come that carried the product to then deal with it. I mean, I don't really know, but I, I'm pretty sure that like Hopsy's the middleman. So you're you're ordering uh, a beer, and you know which beer you want from which local brewery. You can order it from Hopsy, and they will fill it for you from the brewery and then send it to you. So I think they're the middleman in that. Uh, sometimes small breweries don't have the manpower or the uh, uh, upfront, you know, overhead to ship growlers out to you but hopsy can because they have the licensing and they 
they have the, but I the think packaging. Like, but I think like a bigger, you know, bigger brewer like Sam Adams. Well, yeah, I mean Sam Adams like, probably could do it. I mean, that'd be nice. One of the things I've always wanted to try from is like their Boston ale. Just, I just don't think just you because, would want but, to. Because it would probably cost you more to have them ship a growler to you because they need well, to keep it cold. Even if it's it like cold. a six even if it's just like a six pack. Yeah, I mean they still I'm, they need to keep it cold. They don't have they don't have to keep it yeah, cold. They don't have to. If I guess, especially but. if it's in a six pack and bottled and it's already packaged and right, just fucking ship it to me. Yeah. So like if like again, like I said, like a Sandman's Boston ale. You can't get it around here. You have to like literally go to fucking Boston to get it. I have had it. And I want I've always wanted to try it just because it's like, oh, you know, let's see what that's like. It's one thing you haven't had, yeah. And I'll never probably be able to get it. Be like the same thing with like some of the Genesee stuff, like the pilot badge stuff that you can't really get around here. That I have to like drive out like an hour plus to get. But you know, if I could just go on like the sh- like their website and just have them like ship a six pack to me. Right. It would be nice. I-, I think hopefully this is the start of something like that. I've I've checked out Hopsy a little bit besides the trial pack that I've gotten and it looks pretty cool. Like you can order Quite a few local beers on there, and I think they're still expanding. So it seems pretty new. They're still experimenting with what they can do. Uh, so it's still expanding, and I would really like to see it get even bigger where maybe some of the smaller breweries that you just really would not be able to get unless you were either in the area or you know you happen to find something like that. Have a friend that went to the right, area. Right, exactly. You're like, hey, I brought you something. Yeah, I would like to see that happen. I think Hopsy can do that. It, it seems pretty cool to me. And from what I saw with the trial pack that I got, um, for 20 bucks, you get a lot with it. I mean, not even just talking about the the actual packaging itself, which I imagine costs a lot of money for them to have to c- continuously do with like sending out just free ice packs. You know, even thinking about that, it's like two large ice packs that you then get to keep, which will come in handy for you when you're like trying to pack your own beer in a cooler or something like that. I want to keep it warm. So I'm be getting, keeping the growlers too. Exactly. And you keep the growlers and they come with a special label that says, you know, uh, brewed at, and then the brewery that you get, but then it's also packaged by Hopsy. So, I think it's a really cool idea, and I, I'm I'm super open to trying it out more. Um, the one thing that obviously is going to impact people ordering from this, because the pricing looks pretty good, except for the delivery costs, which, you know, obviously they have to recoup some of their, their money on the delivery costs. So it's, it's a little pricey for the delivery, but I would assume that if you were to order multiple growlers at the same time, you could save money on the actual delivery, making it more worth your while. You know, if you're ordering multiple ones at once, and uh, the delivery cost stays the same. That would be the best option. But like I said, I, I think I do think it is worth it. Like again, if you want to try something, like we can't get around here. Like mm-hmm. we do get, we only get a very limited of what we have today. Yeah, I mean, it, like like only like like two or three different six packs. So like, if you really want to try it, I think you worth, would, you it, you'd be like, yeah, it'd be you worth would the you money. would spend the money, right? Exactly. So uh, my my experience with Hopsies, it was very good. Uh, everything comes labeled clearly, you know, the, in the growlers, you know, which ones are which. Um, they sent some really cool ones. I, I've never had any of the four that I got. So that was really nice, too, because you're always taking like a, a crapshoot. It's like, well, I hope it's not something that I get all the time. You know, I hope it's not like a Browns or something. No offense to Browns, but that's that's pretty readily available to me. So I would like something that's not so easily available. And I they did that. So uh, I ended up getting some from Bronx Brewery, from Newburg, um, and a couple others that I've never even heard of. So that was a really nice surprise, too, that they got me stuff that I've never had before. Um, and the one that we have on the show tonight 
is uh, Bronx Brewery beer. Now we've done Bronx Brewery before. We did uh, the their their rye pale ale. I think it was. Yep. I think. And um, you know, I liked I liked what I've had from them. So uh, this time they sent the summer pale ale with lemon, and uh, that is an actually kind of nice. So that's why I opened it up right away because it has been ninety degrees out, and uh, it's more in line with the summer ale than with anything else, you which know, is like an Oktoberfest. Which so. I find kind of weird that a lot of um, well, I guess it's not weird now that I think about because I was say a lot of summer ales are more wheat ales, mm-hmm. and I was gonna say it's kind of weird that they call them ales. Like it's like oh, it's a summer ale, but it's a wheat ale. So. It is, yeah, it's still. But a I mean, ale. like, well, I think looking like an ale, like off the top of my head, I think pale ale, right? You know, so. Right. Um, so this one is a pale ale. Uh, it's it's so their summer ale is a pale ale. Um, and with just a hint of lemon, and I think it's a it's a pretty good beer. It's it's um not super hoppy. No, um, it's it, it's pretty, very mild. Lemon's pretty mild too, but right. But I think um, it definitely does have like enough, like enough of a citrusy, and not in the way of like hop citrusiness, but uh, but just like an overall like general citrus flavor, like more like a little bit more than lemon, like just. I don't know which like citrus to kind of choose, but it's like a very general like like oh you like oh yeah it's like it's like tart right. Um, so, you know, sweet, um, 5.2 ABV. So it's very, uh, light and drinkable. I would say it's very drinkable. You downed yours. And so did you. Uh, yeah, we both did Uh, on a hot summer night. Like, well, it's not really summer, it's fall, but on a hot summer night, um, it was definitely a thirst quencher. And I think that's what you're looking for with the summer ale. Um, I do. And I do like the fact like that, even though I do like wheat ales, I do. I do enjoy the fact that it's uh something it's, different. It's not, you know, bready. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean it's not like I said, it's not heavy at all. Uh it's very light, refreshing, citrusy. I think it hits all the all the right notes for what you're looking for. Um I would like to see a little bit more pronounced lemon. Because, I would too. Because they do uh, like on the on the tag that came with the growlout, um it does say with lemon, meaning like should, that's kind of a focal point. Kind of like, um, like I think the best, best that I can think of so far when it comes to that is, uh, I think we talked about that we didn't do a full review because it was like something like a sh- little shout out because we had it at Project Twenty Nine, our local brew pub, was uh, uh, Southern Tears Lemon, you know, Sun Drop. Yep, that's that's probably the best. Summer ale that contains like a, a high amount of lemon that's not a shandy. Yeah, that's you know got just... that right amount of sweetness. Like it's pronounced, it's there, it's very refreshing, but it's also not like overwhelming. Like you're drinking like like you know like you said like shandy like right. a lemon sh- you know lemon shandy or a porch rocker. Yep, it's not not an aid. I wouldn't say. Um, so, but I think this one's good. And I, I, like I said, a little bit more lemon would, would be, uh, fine to add to this, especially since it's supposed to be a focal point. Um, but I think that it's overwhelmingly just very, a very drinkable summer ale. Um, and that's the most important thing. I do like that it didn't go overboard with the hops, you know, as a paleo, ale, sometimes you run the risk of just going overboard and say, uh, well, basically making it, it's going to make- be an IPA. Yeah. Basically making, yeah. <laughs> so they, so Bronx, uh, does not do that. Um, so 
I, honestly, I think this is probably going to be a, a hard beer to find now. <laughs> um, I think they're probably either they're they're trying to get rid of it. It's the end of the season. They're, they're that was probably like the last of the. Well, as you said, there's still like still like some of the restaurants you go to, like like, hey, what's your Sam seasonal? Like, oh, we still got the summer ale. Yeah, I mean, I think this is probably the end of what their batches have. You know what they have for batches. Um, you know, if you're gonna order from Hopsy and you you uh, probably do it, I would say in the next couple of weeks they're probably going to do a shift you know if you're ordering that that four pack of um hoppy ales like i did i would say that a summer ale is probably not going to make it onto there at this point now it would be something else to give them give them more praise like i like to talk about like the idea like if they had like a fall pack like see that would that would get me to spend like the money. absolutely absolutely like, like like hey like we got all these different Oktoberfests like that I are, that are new that would be like here's my money I, perusing the site I did not see anything like that right now but that would be got, you know something I'm I'm gonna tag them in our uh, our podcast episode on Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that so they they kind of see this no not <laughs> not as a sponsor but just as a you know an FYI that we we covered it on here and then also hopefully they take some considerations into like you said like a four pack of a uh, Oktoberfest or something like that. Be great. That would be really great because not only are you hitting like local breweries like I don't know of a Bronx Oktoberfest haven't seen one don't know if it's around they probably have one but it's not out here we don't get any bottles or cans of it so so that would be really cool you know because we don't have any other way of getting that except if we made the trip down there. And uh, I don't see that happening anytime soon, you know, like in the near future for Oktoberfest. So I can do it in November. <laughs> yeah. I'm serious. I want to go see Ben Montage. Yeah. Let's go. Well, by that time, they'll be into winter. They might not be. So they might be smart. But I, it's a good <laughs> idea. I like I like that idea. It would make it, you know, if you're ordering like a four pack, it would make it worth it to buy the four pack in the in the. um. Or like if there's like something random too, like white IPA. Like, hey, we got like a pet, like white IPAs. Yeah, like my that's my fa- I, that's my favorite you know, IPA I, style. I'm like I'm like sign I, me up. I do that's... think I do think they have a monthly pack too. So another good option is for like somebody to go in halvesies. You know, like you and I go in halvesies on it, and then because we sh- we ended up sharing gear anyway. Yeah. So that's like a, the perfect opportunity. Now is it like a monthly subscription you can sign up for. Yeah, like, kind of like, right. yeah. like a like a loot crate thing. Yeah, basically, I think they do have one. Yep. Do you know how much it is off the top? Of your head? I think it was forty dollars. I'm not sure though. I, I that would I would have to check on because I, I don't remember. I was just doing like I did a lot of research on it on one day, so I don't remember exactly the price ranges and things like that. Still sounds like a great deal. Yeah, I mean, like, I think that's really cool for yeah. four, like you know, four through two ounce Grellets. They definitely are are very interested in promoting your local breweries. So like, it depends on your area too. You know what they have. Mm-hmm. So you have to put in like I'm from New York, so you. You know, you get the local breweries from your area. It would be nice too if you could branch out sometimes and be like, "Well, I love local beers. I do, I do, but I want to support other people's local beers." Well, um, like I said, that might that that might be where like the issues come come in. I like I said, I like it, I think there's there has to be certain licenses, and every state's got different laws on like right. the transportation of alcohol. So like yeah. if, like if we want to like get stuff from Vermont. Yeah, that might there might be an issue. With there that. would probably be an issue. So you know, we should get like Stump City on there. If they don't know about it, they should. You know what I mean? Great. We should we, stop we haven't, in been, on, we haven't been there. In we haven't quite been a while. in a while. Uh, sorry, uh, if you're listening, that's our local brewery that just started up not too long ago. Very very small, pretty Delicious. much like a backwoods affair. You know what I mean? Like a uh, very small shed like. That's uh, great. Bar. And, and we have talked about it before. I'm, yeah. Uh, um, I think you know we should stop in on a Saturday and just say, "Hey, you heard about Hopsy? Because you should probably you should look into it." 
you know, distributing your beer to those people that are around New York area ordering from Hopsy. The more people, the more people who know about their Cayadetta cream ale, the the better. That's right. All right. Let's take a break. Uh, We'll jump right into House on Haunted Hill when we come back. Sweet dreams are made of this, people. Hi, this is Derek from The Wild Pitch. And I'd like to talk to you about something that's very important to me. My podcast, The Wild Pitch. Now, since you clearly don't have access to a skip button, listen to this. Eat as many brats as possible. And this. An in-home cat communication system that allows your feline friends to talk to you through a series (laughs) of intricate bell rings and button presses. And how about that? I imagine it would be about (laughs) as satisfying as drinking orange juice after having a burrito. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, uh, I don't know, stare into the sun and you might hear it. It'll buzz in your ears. All right, guys, we're back with House on Haunted Hill from 1999, the remake of House on Haunted Hill, the one that we've done previously on the show. From 1958. From 1958, Vincent Price. Um, <laughs> all right, so uh, first of all, this film has a lot of um, homages to uh, the original House on Haunted Hill. Um, like in tits? <laughs> I guess. No, I mean... No, no, that's a joke. <laughs> What I mean is the obvious uh, reference to Vincent Price himself with the main character, Stephen and uh, Evelyn Price. They uh, are pretty much, I mean, Stephen uh, specifically is Jeffrey, basically Vincent Price. Yeah, Jeffrey Rush is playing Vincent Price, essentially. Yeah, uh, I don't know that he does a great job. Um, I think he's hamming it up, but I think the ham is uh, a little too over the top sometimes. Because Vincent Price wasn't hammy no i i definitely agree he was hammy i just you don't, don't i don't know if he's he's great at the impersonation i, I mean it's not a it. good impersonation i appreciate and i enjoy i enjoy it though you just you you i mean you like it just because it's to be fair to be honest i think most of the i think most of the cast and this is pretty good yeah w- i think w- they do it. except for some one or two odd choices well, I mean, I think they do a pretty good job of, um, I don't know. I mean, I of being scared in the house and and kind of, you know, they they hit that over the top nature. I think I purpose sometimes. I mean, some of it is very much supposed to be campy, campy and cheesy. Well, the and, original is campy and cheesy. Yeah, especially, I mean, especially now, the whole as we talked about when we reviewed it, the whole like dancing skeleton on wires. Yeah, you know. I mean, I, they definitely were uh, trying to incorporate that campiness in like even at the beginning of this of this film uh when there's that full um like almost documentary like ex- exploitative documentary of the mental institution burning down um complete with like Peter Graves P- yeah Peter Graves doing the the uh which at the time did he have a show like kind of like unsolved Pro- probably it was kind like, of like unsolved mysteries sort of and rescue yeah. 911 yeah it was basically something like akin to that uh, definitely looks straight out of like an unsolved mysteries. Um, because I've been watching a lot of unsolved mysteries lately, and I definitely definitely look like it to me. Well, they hit everyone. it. They hit that pretty well. But I like we, like, uh, we can't blame you. Everyone loves Robert Stack. I mean, I like all of like the little like uh newspaper spins that that come out. You know, they spin in. It has some some outlandish headline. I uh, mean, <laughs> well, I was joking with you when they like after um. After the whole riot on the sanatorium, the you know uh, asylum, they had a uh, 
you know, it's like a 1930s newsreel. It's like, LA, 1931. It's like, where's Cole Phelps? Yeah, pretty much. Even even though, you know, it's, uh, it's... you know, 15 years before L.A. Noir, I understand, but still, it's like, right. where's Cole Phelps? Yeah, they, uh, they definitely, I mean, they did a pretty good job. Would have been great, it'd be great now seeing, if, like, they remake it now and have, like, Cole Phelps in the scene, like, picking up, like, a random, like, charred hand, and be like, hmm, I don't know, Cole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they did a pretty good job with, like, that noir style. No, yeah, it's so, the beginning, and, like, the whole building itself is so art deco. Yeah. And not even, like, like, oh, you know, it was, like, kind of, like, a, you know, style, you know, art style of, like, the 20s and 30s. Like, it's, like, literally, they saw, we're watching Batman, and, our, you know, and, like, let's put Arkham Asylum on a they fucking gotta, random cliffside. They gotta know? have, like, a really foreboding, like, uh, almost, it's, like, and what what it is, too, is, like, very nonchalant, like, very, uh, I guess, it's, like, white and pillory, and it doesn't really look like anything, doesn't look like a building, no, like, again, like, what I, I said, like, why would you put a fucking asylum on, like, some h- ridiculously high-perched cliffside? Well, because there was nowhere to go. It's like Alcatraz. You either, you either, uh, stay in the asylum or you try to escape and jump off the cliff like, into the... Like, what a fucking terrible idea that is. Yeah. Not only that, the one thing, I mean, this is why people find, you know, mental institutions fucking scary and creepy. Movies like this... Even like in the nineteen, when we like they're showing the bit, you know, the rioting from the nineteen thirties. The place looks run down, creepy, terribly lit, and scare. You know, already. I mean, granted, you know, asylums at the time were not not great. Well, they obviously had some of those qualities. Yeah, you know, but obviously, you know, shitholes for the most part. Like we don't know what you know what's causing the demons in this person. We're gonna. Got this new thing called lobotomy. You know, boop, boop, you know, and crack their head, crack their know, skull open and take part of the brain out. And, you know, hey, now they're acting all calm. Yeah, I mean they they weren't the uh, the bastion of uh, good scientific <laughs> uh, medicine. I, I would say that, and I think we, you know, that's that is part of the the idea behind House on Haunted Hill is that really they get a lot of the spooks from just the setting alone. And that they turned it into an insane asylum, and and they brought everybody there. And which I do think it's a good, you know, I think that's a good idea and a good setup. Like I said, it's just a, a naturally creepy. It's a more elaborate take on William Castle's House the, haunted the original, yeah. which was just you know, it's a haunted mansion. Right. I mean, this is it. Definitely adds layers to it because then you have um, a lot more to work with in terms of people that died. You know, the ghosts that are surrounding the area. The one thing I'll say that I don't understand is why the people, the patients riding in the building, Mm -hmm. um, why are they acting like zombies? Yeah. (laughs) Like the way they're kind of clawing and tearing at people. It's like, yeah, is it supposed to be a zombie film? I don't know. You, know. you mean in the first opening scene? Yeah, in the, o- and the opening. Yeah, in the opening. And, yeah, I don't really and know. And not that, like, in the whole premise of it being, uh, this crazed Dr. Vino or Vincoud or whatever the fuck. <laughs> whatever the fuck his name is. You know, it's not important. Yeah. It's really not important. It's because it's like, well, why is he crazy? Why is he doing these crazy things? Is it just because it's a, 
fucking asylum from the 30s, so it's they're obviously doing crazy and creepy things. It's just because. Yeah. And now like they don't go into detail. Why is he why did he plan this riot, you know, to apparently happen between the patients and to have the building get locked down and everyone die in it? We don't know, it just is. Because Chris Catan speaks in only you know the, he plays Chris Catan's whole goal in this movie is to play the pronoun game. It that the evil you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that uh, part of it is like Dick Beebe uh, writing the screenplay. What a name. Um, there's really no, <laughs> there's really no uh, rhyme or reason to the asylum, and they kind of just needed a reason to set this film in an asylum. Like, the, I think the idea was pretty much like, we gotta make it you scary. know, House on Haunted Hill was set in like a regular haunted house. Yeah, that's scary. Mur- murders, right? There is a murder there. But what would be scarier is if it was in an insane asylum because people find insane asylums very scary. So let's set it there and then then let's work around to like why it would be haunted. And so I think that was really the idea. Like it it would have been even better probably than to have like that opening scene of like mass murder for no reason. The rioting that's not really explained. It would have been better if it just was like a very traumatic fire that occurred there. Like a fire took place. Everybody burned to death. That sucked. And now they're back. <laughs> you know, and that would have been probably reason enough to have a haunted, insane asylum where murders are also taking place. Well, I think the premise itself with like the I think the idea itself with like this crazed doctor and all that, it's in I think it's an actually a nice, unique twist and reinvention of the original. I just don't think they don't do enough to go in elaborate. They don't this is a this is a case. Usually on here, we kind of bitch about films going way too into detail and exposition, and you know, like okay, you're not you're not benefiting by over explaining things. Here, the, they do really need to elaborate. Like it's like, like, come on, you know. Well, that opening scene of the riot taking place is is like like two minutes, maybe. You know what I mean? It's very very quick, and I just think that over the course of the film, there was some room to go into detail like what happened why would they do that um there are some flashback scenes where stephen price is in a uh like i guess it's what they would call like a psycho psychotic um immersion chamber and he has some sort of like flashbacks to seeing things that may have occurred or may be haunting. While, the, while the ghosts are also haunting him at the same time too like that's like just convoluted yeah right and right. not well explained at all yeah but i think like at that point there could have been a little bit more explanation done there so there were there were areas where they could have worked in like more explanation as to like what happened what you know why was the evil always there to begin with or was it only there after that whole riot slash fire took place a lot of that stuff is really left open to interpretation, and I don't know if that – I don't think that – it's not, like, um, helpful in this scenario. And not I mean, only that, if Pritchard played – again, played by Chris Kattan, if he hates this place, knows it's haunted, and thinks it, the building's a lie, why hasn't he just fucking sold it? Yeah, I mean, he knows everything about this place. Yeah. He not, he not only and knows he's that afraid, it's just he's, regularly haunted. He's afraid of it. Yeah. He knows that it's not just, like, ghosts that are in there be, and uh, stuff. He knows that there's – like a fucking black spirit entity thing that haunts the one room that has never been opened. He knows it's there, and he's basically waiting for these people to open it. Because he says, 
at one point he says, well, you were just playing with the ghosts. You haven't even encountered the darkness yet. The true evil. So he fucking knows it's there. He, he knows that people are probably going to stumble upon it and open it. And he basically just dry, dives into drinking. Which is probably what I, I guess I, what I would do if I was stuck in a house with sucky people for I mean, an entire I night. I would have been hitting on Famke Jensen the entire Famke night. Famke Jensen, yeah. yeah. Like, hey, I saw you in Goldeneye. Sup? <laughs> well, he did a little bit. He No, he tried miserably. One, even so, Chris Kattan, I can imagine, has no game. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say... Probably not. Uh, Especially from what I've heard in interviews with, like, Norm MacDonald of David Spade. Like, and, like, Norm, like, pissing Chris off. Like, and, like, apparently Chris Kattan's goal when he was on SNL was to get any, every chick, like, hot chick that was, like, hosting on there. Yeah. To, to be in a scene with him where he has, like, I'm gonna kiss you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Norm called him out on it, and Chris didn't like it. I didn't, I didn't hear, I haven't heard that, but. Just YouTube, it's fine. I'm not well-versed in uh, Chris Kattan lore, I guess. I, yeah, it's I just more, it. just gotta like listen to yeah. Norm MacDonald interviews, because Norm MacDonald's a fucking national treasure, <laughs> even though he's Canadian. Well, I think that here, you know, Chris Kattan, um, you know, if we're talking about him right now, he's probably just drinking this entire movie. Well, that's why I said him, him, and uh, Fabique Jensen. Are literally you, just, you cannot uh, say her name. You're no, because like, I'm not Dutch. I love how you. <laughs> it's you like are, a you're film. basically Stephen Brule, and you're just like making up a <laughs> like a, a how to say it. <laughs> it's Famke Jansen. Famke. Yes. Funky. I as 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 <laughs> what I think it is. But you, yeah, no, I'm sorry. That's okay. That's My dad. Right. Just refer to her as Miss Jansen or something like that. <laughs> Ms. Jansen. Yeah, uh, you know what? You can't all be perfect like you. <laughs> I'm. I'm no, sorry. I'm, just... I'm not. I'm not up on my Flemish. Cause I don't know how to say <laughs> Dutch names. My bad. I. I. I just wanted to point that out. You know. Well, you know, people can't say your name. That's you, true. That's you true. You know what? I let them go. Yeah. If they can't it's say not my name. Not a big name. deal. So. Um. But, were you? but no, but her, her and Chris Kattan's literally their roles in this, and they probably did no prepping or anything. They just show up on set. They had like bottles of vodka and scotch lying around, which again I find very hard that Chris Kattan's like a scotch drinker. But they're just sitting there, just drinking the entire time. Just, yeah, you know, just, yeah, we're just drinking. I mean, it definitely seems like Chris Kattan is on something here because he's very animated. He's always very animated. No, I know. I mean, I I just like how it, that's that's his whole claim to fame is being. And this he's a little spazzy. bit more more animated and and uh, darkly spazzy. You know, whereas in like I some of the other stuff, why, he's like, more why he was casted. See, like he, when I said, I I thought the film was casted. You know, pretty well. It's mainly like why is like Chris Kattan's one like why is he here? He gets an and as well. In the but credits. he's also, which makes no sense too, because he's like probably the third most important character in the film. Yeah, our heroes of the film aren't nearly as important as him. Mm, yeah, for the, for the most part, yeah. Yeah, I mean because he survives quite a bit. I mean he survives for end. for most of the movie. So like some of the other characters, like um um, I'm thinking like Melissa Marr, who's basically like the like a Failed TV, failed TV game show host and stuff like that. Played by Bridget Wilson. Um, from Billy Madison. Yeah, I mean, for for like though that character is not very important whatsoever. I mean, ba- barely a character. Um, 
Well, she looks a lot, by the way, I know it's like five years difference between this and Billy Madison. She looks a lot different. Like, you can tell the 90s caught up to her. Yeah. Well, this is, uh, even though we're in the 19, 1999 at this point, this is one of those films that, like we talked about in our 90s slasher movies. Um, Riddled. Yep. Like, the 90s, like, we're we're not at that point yet where 2000, or, you know, where, like, 90s have, have uh, kind of blown themselves out. We're at, like, peak... 90s fashion like uh famke jansen is rocking a very uh slight eyebrow um very very thin um we've got total 90s haircut too like the way the bangs and we've got uh ali larder uh playing like one of the actual mains the one of the ones who actually kind of surprisingly surviving because it doesn't really they gotta, seem they gotta have one girl survive well i know but it doesn't really seem like she's even that important no she's not that's why that's why i'm saying it's it's weird for at the end of the day like it's like you said chris Catan gets an and but again it's like he's a, a much bigger part in this film it, than it's a yeah it's a, it's very weird but ali larder is rocking like a belly shirt and very terrible slacks or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. I don't know what you want to call them, but, um, not a try. You you know, the thing that really, (laughs) it's stupid, but it bugs me is that the, the pants look like they don't have a button on them. So there's like a little V that occurs at the, at the button line for for vagina. (laughs) And it's a very weird, I don't know why anybody with, would have thought that that was like a fun thing. Like, you know what would look good is if like it looked Maybe like it, this pant doesn't have a button on it. It just makes it easier to go clubbing. I guess when so. You're done just, clubbing, whoosh, just whoosh. rip them right off. No, I bet uh, this is one of those films that really sits very, very neatly in the '90s fashion sense. Um, Tay Diggs is here. Tay Diggs is here. Like you said, and no, and no dig, and, and I got nothing against Tay Diggs, but it's like literally, it's like. Why is Tay Diggs here? Like, like you said, this is one of those films again that needed a uh, profile black man. Very common at the time. Yep. Uh, for mo- uh, especially for most slasher horror movies, uh, talking about like you know Halloween Resurrection, Halloween H two O, Halloween or um, <laughs> Scream Three, Scream Three. Um, I mean, it was just a very common thing for whatever reason. I, I don't know why, but. Uh, and I mean, he's not bad in this, but he, he, like, he doesn't have anything to do. Again, yeah, I, th- I think, again, that's the biggest issue is that we – I think you get a good amount of information about Evelyn and Steven because they're the main focus in that they fight, they hate each other. Obviously, they both have motivation to kill each other, and that's a big part of the storyline is that they both want to kill each other in some way. and Which is from the original, too. Yep, it's carried over. Um and I, I even, I think that you get some good information about Blackburn too, because he's like the, the love interest for Evelyn and, and the reason why she's put this together. Also from the original. Yep. So, so those things, those are, those are well done. Those characters are, are, I would say fairly fleshed out. Not, you know, it's still not great, but you actually Blackburn, get some development not as much, but I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think you get some development for them. And, you know, in, in small part, Pritchett as well. Even though, you know, he's he's actually somewhat of a major character because he pretty much is the character that has all of the answers. And so he's, he, the, he's the exposition yeah, machine. And he's the exposition machine and also the person who conveniently does not tell people what they need to know. Like I said, <laughs> like I said, he plays the pronoun game. Of- yeah. But the rest but of the I, cast... But I, but I will say, I think Jeffrey Rush as Stephen Price, I think he's great. 
I, think I he's mean, okay. look, I don't think he does a good like Vincent Price. Like, it's not terribly like great, but yeah. I can see the inspiration we was trying to go for. It. So I think, and I think it's, I think he's really good. I think Famke Jensen. I like her. I love her in everything. She's great. I, I, I childhood do. crush right there. I mean, I like her in everything. Um, I will say that I think probably Hassan Haunted Hill is a weaker role for her, and that I don't know if that's her fault. I think that's no, more so. like, and, and I think that's more just again like she was just to show up, drink, and look hot. Yeah, I think I don't think fine. that's her fault. Yeah, but still fine by me. Yeah, uh, but and, I, but the, so it's like those two and Peter Gallagher as Blackburn, and he doesn't really have much to do, but he he's like just got that such you know sophisticated you know demeanor and right the way he carries himself you know so you've seen peter gallagher and other things like if you've seen him in like the oc on fox and that used to be a thing and or mr deeds as the smug villain bastard (laughs) you know yeah he's great he's absolutely great and I, i think in this you know what little he's given to do in this he's does a really good job so i think when i talk about casting being good i think those three are pretty pretty good and pretty inspired to be honest with you because mm-hmm. to be honest with you i think out of all the people in this film that kind of seem like yeah they belong here famke jensen and ali larder i'm pronouncing yeah pronouncing that right yeah yes. so those are the only two because she would later go on to do final destination before that she did varsity blues so she you know she fits in here but it's not like she not like she's really doing much, but the rest of them are kind of like, hmm. Well, and I will say Jeffrey, again, like, like, Jeffrey Combs as well, because and, he's very well known for... And Lisa Loeb. Why is Lisa Loeb in here? <laughs> yeah, doesn't and, even look like, she doesn't even look like Lisa Loeb. Uh, Lisa Loeb and James Marsters, um, they actually get, like, I would say semi-top billing for being in the film for, like, five, not even five minutes. And it's a very strange, like... You know, James. and James Marsters, I have to say, you know, a lot of people probably would be like, who's James Marsters? He's not very well known, especially in, like, the United States, except for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So if anybody knows him from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which would have been 1999, would still have been on, I believe. Um, would be hitting its stride. Right, exactly. Uh, it's a, it's almost a, like a very strange thing to have them on the, you know, on film, on screen for, like, three minutes. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why that was, like... On the Incredible Hulk roller coaster. Yes, yes, for sure. Uh, this and film it, does make use of it, of the uh, Incredible Hulk roller coaster. I don't know. If there may be. There's probably one in in like Los Angeles too, no, or no, whatever it's, the it's next. From, uh, yeah, right on lines. It is Universal Uni- Florida. Univer- oh, Universal Florida. It was. Yeah. So I I I knew right from looking at it that that is the Incredible Hulk roller coaster because they've been on it multiple times and uh, looks very looked very familiar. So they definitely just rebranded that as the new uh, Stephen Price roller coaster that's terrifying for everybody to ride on and they added some sort of elevator or some shit to it to make it look even like higher. It's like a tower of terror. Thing, right. So. Yeah. It's kind of weird, but um, yeah, that's an interesting moment. Um. So what do you think of, like, the ghosts that are in this film? Because this is really not... Like the original film, it's more focused on the murderous rampage that the characters do rather than the actual ghosts. Because in House on Haunted Hill in the original, you're kind of left wondering, like... If it's really ghosts? Are there really ghosts there? Or if it's just... It's it's more of a crime drama. Right. Like, Like a pulpy crime drama with horror elements. Yeah. This this is definitely more of a 
we're gonna try to be a horror film, right? Especially with that. Oh, again, riding, opening, and burning, and like the effects they use, and all you know, the setting and all that. They're trying to make it more of a horror film, and it's definitely more supernatural. There literally is, without a shadow of a doubt, supernatural shit going on here. Yeah, we. I mean, we see ghosts. We see that happening. We know that both the characters are that have set this up. You know, because Stephen Price has set up his own little gag. And Evelyn has set up her own little gag. We know both of them are like, "What's happening?" <laughs> uh, because they're they're unsure of like what what's happening that's ghostly and what's happening that the other person has set up. So um, that's apparent. And we see, I mean, we see ghosts on screen, like in in uh, security camera footage and stuff like that. So no question. So I do I do like the fact that this does go more of a supernatural route um, and makes it literally. About ghosts and the the whole who done it murder mystery kind of takes it back. See, not because I think it's a weakness from the first film, I don't. But I think if you're going to remake this film, especially with modern, you can do more better, you know, much better effects and gore. That's what you have to do, and you need something more than just the um, the mystery and the double crossing yeah. because. If you're following from the original film, the double crossings are kind of apparent already. Like, if you're coming into this, you've already seen the original House on Haunted Hill. You know this is a remake. You're probably going to be expecting that there's double crossings, that both Evelyn and Steven are doing their own sort of uh, fake-outs. So you kind of get that. I think that this goes in a an acceptable direction with the ghost because I do like that it, it kind of tosses both of that into play. Because then the audience is kind of, um, there's no there's no expectation at that point. So there there are multiple scenes where seeing this for the first time, uh, you would think maybe Stephen died after he gets shot by bullets because that's a brave thing to do to just accept that uh, Ali Larder's character is not going to shoot him in the head or the arm or anywhere else that he's not wearing they, a bodysuit. And one of the things that they, that they do the twist from the original is the original it really was blanks in the gun, right? And here, it, they it's they're actually loaded. Yeah, and that's because even though and it's, you get the double cross because in the original it's just Vincent Price put blanks at the gun, so they really weren't supposed to harm anybody. In this, Jeffrey Rush put blanks in the gun, but Evelyn, you know, she swapped them out. She was able real- to swap them, and you know, because the clips are supposed to be welded, there's actually live ammo in the guns, all the guns. It's um, so which is nice, but I think where the whole part it all comes apart at the fact that I wish again, like this is a film I think even though it's an hour and thirty, it almost feels like it should be longer or they should have done done a better job at like having things explained. Like it would have been better to see more actual traps that Evelyn and Steven set within mm-hmm. the house, and like how they hand out well yeah and here here the- and here all you really see is like some concrete fall that like they dodge it's like oh that was one of steven's traps like haha and but it's very glossed over mm-hmm. i think it would have been cool to see more of the actual traps they set up for one another and you know have like the ghost kind of tricking them at the same time and like having and causing they- other things and so you have like later on in the film like have it be more of a what the hell's going on? Not really kind of jump into like, 
oh, the guy that was watching the cameras for Steven, he's dead now. Right. You know, that because that's all that happens yeah. really quick. Yeah, and, and and then you would have more of a you know the ghosts would work themselves into the plot later on. So just basically being there and so it, it's I think the whole like you said I think it's a very good idea. I think it's just not executed well at all. And I think it's again it's really a bummer. I think the whole setting, the style and feel, it all is has great potential. It's just it's very flat. Yeah, like with the set going with the setting of the insane asylum and it's being art deco and the way it looks, it's a great idea. This could be very creepy and intense. And they definitely, but but, it's, but most of the sets on this look like you know like very like che- like you can tell like cheap and on a soundstage and not like and like some of it's like just kind of like really like not even scary. It's like hey, we saw this in like a Resident Evil game. Let's have glass, you know. Glass uh, monuments with like this, like you know, Mortal Kombat outworld, Resident Evil like decaying, carved up body that would be. Why is that there? Right. Like, yeah, the doctor's crazy, and he did like like experiments and stuff, but like they don't ever go enough into detail. So why the hell is that there? Like nobody was like doing like one overs on that asylum and being like, hmm, so doc, why you got that uh body all hollowed out, riding a dog that's been mutilated. Right, yeah, and I think that they could have done more with that, and I would have liked to have seen some of the ghost stuff kind of put aside until the very end, because um, once that comes into play, the expectation is, even if Evelyn and Steven have both been doing things to each other, it doesn't really matter at this point, because we know that there's something more evil at work here. And even, like, it makes it so that what Pritchett says we know is exactly true. You know, he's not just, everybody else thinks he's crazy. You know, and as an audience member, we should at first think he's crazy as well. We should at first be, like, really skeptical. Like, no, there's nothing haunted happening here. I know that both of these people really hate each other. And they hate each other so much that they bring other people into it. (laughs) Just for the, you know, for the fun fun of it. Um, And I think you don't get much of that i would have wanted to have seen more but i do like that they incorporated an actual supernatural aspect to it because it does add i think there's there are some scenes here some of them don't work as well but some of them do i think some of the more um spooky scenes the ones that really do work uh, occur like when um melissa has her camera and she's filming a scene that's right out of like the past where she's seeing because they had shown earlier like during the rioting like uh when uh, Jeffrey Coombs is doing the, you know, surgery on, like, the live patient, like, dissecting them. Like, you got, so, like, one of the nurses, like, sitting there with a hand crank, you know, film, you know, filming it. And so, like, when she's doing it, it's like she's in that position, you know, and the ghost is showing that to her. No, that you're right. That is really cool. I think, like, the whole when they find the camera and, like, having, like, the POV and not just, like, kind of seeing, like, the blood and, like, her body get dragged. Like, you know, that's... Yeah, that is really cool. There are some stylistic aspects of it that do really work. I and I think those are some of the the creepier aspects of it. Um, even just sometimes like seeing the ghosts uh, when they are on camera or like in security footage, something like that works until they incorporate some of like the more stylized uh, haunting aspects of these ghosts, like when they they have like constant head spins and 
uh, facial. It's like out of a fucking nine inch nails video. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they have those those types of things. I think they haven't aged well. Um, they have become a little bit more uh, what we consider cheesy, and we've moved away from those into more um, like insidious territory or the conjuring territory where. Uh, we've kind of taken the idea of like demonic ghostly faces that have been that that occur in stuff like House on Haunted Hill, Thirteen Ghosts. We kind of morph them more so that we have keep like them a, underplay until like they were like reveal right. Like and it built like it builds to like you know it's I, like, like it looks normal and then when you when it finally reveals itself like close up and then you know you, you get yeah you go for the jump scare. I mean I'm thinking of like uh something like the nun from The Conjuring Two who has that mm-hmm. sort of facial distortion that yeah. morphing uh that you do get in house on haunted hill a little bit but it's more nuanced in the conjuring rather than the kind of like crazy editing that they do have to do in house on haunted hill to make it look in this weird spooky. like like weird goofy like mold that's ba- it's like it, the house is like the ghost is like a l- giant mold blob that's just like i'm gonna you know ooh. yeah the the the, <laughs> the the evil itself the i guess they call it the darkness um is i really almost wish they did not include that at all like they, it was just like evil ghosts let's just have evil just ghosts. Have the doctor why right. like why could it just be like, why? The, like the ghost of the doctor going around and he butchers and assimilates people and stuff like like why like making it into this giant like like ethereal being yeah like, like a blob amorphous blob type thing it's not scary it's not creepy <laughs> especially with the cgi then yeah. it looks terrible yeah i think they would have they could have really gotten away with just having ghosts just like these ghosts are murderous and, and that would be a you know again if you're gonna hide, you know have jeffrey coombs doing the doing the, the playing As that the doctor e- that yeah. evil doctor then have hit like I said. Why not have, let him go with it? Because there's yeah. he doesn't get much time at all to be on screen because most of it is either just in flashback, and then the rest of it is sometimes when uh, Jeffrey Rush sees him on like the camera. That, yeah, and because he's he thinks he's the one that's you know doing everything and he's working with somebody. And the darkness really takes over for most of like what actually would be the Doctor's evil. So it's not really it seems unnecessary to have both. I think that the the darkness itself is is pretty foolish because it's so undefinable. It's really undefinable, like what exactly it is or what it's doing. And as you said, uh, it kind of looks like a screensaver from the nineties, <laughs> like a bouncing, like you know, like ooh, like, yeah, because it has w- 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 wobbling from like side to side and corner to corner. It has like one of those qualities of like the expanding like web of a you know of like a screensaver that it like expands and contracts on your yeah, screen. It's like, very like soothing and, and moves around and like you know. And you know, probably at the time they thought like this looks pretty good. This looks pretty clever. Well, I'm sure. Yeah, they probably did think that. Like, ooh, yeah. But wow. now, not so much. I mean, it definitely. They definitely needed to to probably cut the darkness out and just do ghosts, and they would have been a be- lot better off. And they wouldn't have had to resort to like some of that CGI, which then kind of blew their budget on some of the other special effects, which really aren't that well done. Uh, like I'm thinking of like the scene where uh, Stephen Price opens up some sort of closet and inside he finds all these body parts. Looks straight out of like if you just went to a Halloween shop and you just saw like 
or your plastic pieces, your science class. Or like here's like the abdomen because the way it's like cut, like the abdomen's cut open. It looks like you know here's the ribcage and stuff, kids. Like you know, now today, you know, we're gonna learn where the intestines are. Yeah, they just kind of use some plastic plastic props. It doesn't look like real or scary or gory or anything like that. It kind of looks very sanitized and cheesy. Yeah, it's like pale white plastic. Um, I, I think that some of the special effects don't really work that well. Like, uh, I'm thinking of that one scene where he is in the water. He's he's kind of having his hallucination and he sees that uh, the girl and her face is then morphed into like some sort of weird sea anemone that has like, you know, teeth inside the face. Doesn't really look that great. I think a lot of the CGI itself has become very dated and doesn't look that good. Um, probably some of the the poorer aspects of the film. Although I will say some of the other effects, like when uh, Stephen Price is in the the chamber and he sees the picture on the wall slowly mm-hmm. turn into a real human figure, I think that's pretty good. I mean, I, no, I like that a lot. I think that's a really good. You know. As weird and kind of out of place, like again, like it's not really explained what the hell the thing is and what's why that happens, and yeah, you know, it still look, you know, still looks pretty cool. Yeah, a lot of those uh, those effects are kind of random too. Like the hallucination stuff seems very like just thrown in there. You know, we need some stuff that looks weird, so you know, let's just put whatever comes to mind. Like uh, two women naked, bloody. What's that about? The, no real rhyme or reason to it. It just kind of happens. So I would say that the scares and the effects are uh, are hit or miss, really. I, I think sometimes they work, sometimes they really don't. Um, and I guess your enjoyment of that will will depend on how willing you are to accept that they're they're in there and just kind of go with it. Now, talking about earlier about kind of like how I think other films were inspired by this, I think Saw like the style like the, like the lighting and kind of like the setting is like overall to me like seems like saw kind of like took some inspiration from this mm-hmm. just like the kind of like the way the lighting is the way the building's kind of set up i mean it like reminds me like one of like a jig house layer uh jigsaw layer yeah and like how it's kind of like all Me- over the place and, and yeah yeah minus the art deco but the lighting and stuff like yeah. that. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely that sort of style. And so was how really... some of the stuff in here seems like they are, you know, it's supposed to, they are literally traps. True. You yeah. know, and Jigsaw's whole things is traps. I mean, they were it's kind of like set up in that same style of, you know, color scheme and stuff like that. It's probably like a '90s, late 2000s or early 2000s. Style. Style. No, no, I agree. And, like, you know, because we've seen it with, like, with, like, the remake of Texas Chainsaw and, like, how, like, other films, too, that we've done on the podcast, how just how they, you know, the look and feel of them have that kind of gritty, same kind of greenish lighting. And right, right. Kind of style. But, I mean, this, this to me is kind of, like, one of the first films that I can remember from this time period that kind of have that. Because at the time... the you know, the big horror films, they were all just slashers, and it's all... They were, at the time, were going for more grounded in reality, because the slashers uh, they were being made were... All the slashers being made at the time were... They're humans. Mm-hmm. Like Urban Legend, Scream, I Know What You Did Last Summer. No supernatural element to it. So in this, like, kind of bringing that in, it has, you know... Obviously, they kind of stray away from that and go into their own 
art, you know, more artsy, stylistic uh, style. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about before we go into a rating? Anything that comes to mind? Blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that a little bit earlier on, but there is a nice, uh, so a nice shot of the uh, guy who's kind of running security for Stephen Price. He's got a couple blockbuster video tapes. What a sp- you know, you can tell they put some money towards this. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Literally have it. I mean, so it's like, very so apparent, it's, you know, facing like towards like, Hey kid, like, you know, if you didn't see this in theaters. Get it at Blockbuster. Yeah, it's it's a very apparent uh, advertisement for them. It would have been better instead of like some random sandwich the guy was eating. He also had like a box of Domino's and a nice cold Pepsi. And while he's done with that, he'll eat some Doritos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's interesting because obviously a product of the time. Um, reminiscing, I guess. Probably would have rented this from Blockbuster back in the day. We didn't have a blockbuster. No, we here. did not. We had a video world. And your dad's store before. Yep. And uh Captain Video. Yep, Captain Video as well. Yep. Hollywood video, if you really want to drive all the way out to John uh Johnstown in Amsterdam. Yeah. It's true. Um Yeah, good times. Good times. I, I don't think you're fully appreciating thinking about video stores and be ki- Why don't you be kind and rewind? I used to love video stores, for sure. Buy some snow caps that are overpriced. Yeah. Five dollars. Three dollar popcorn. Take that home and watch the movie with it. Hey, it's a new release. You only get it for two days instead of the five days. <laughs> if you wait a couple of months, it'll be, you can get it for five days for the same price. Um, But anything else besides Blockbuster? Fucking Marilyn Manson. Yeah. Ugh. Comes up twice. Sweet Dreams cover. I hope Dave Stewart got paid well for that. Interesting. For the royalties for that. Because it does really sound like a 90s music video sort of thing that's going on right well, there. Well, that's like, and that's too, like, it's going off, like, the whole style thing. I think, like, a lot of this, a lot of the style of this, too, is, like, li- literally lifted from 90s music videos. Just, like, the, you know, creepy, goofy, odd, weird, you know, Beavis and Butthead. Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson. Like I said, like it's very this this, and the editing too. And this is very music, vi- you know, MTV music video. It's it's got a lot of it. You can watch this movie and then watch like any random like nineteen ninety four like music video. It's like a you know alt rock song. It's going to look a lot like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Um, it's not just like Marilyn Manson too, because there's another moment that's sort of like a montage that has a very upbeat and brooding track to it. Uh, that's kind of a, it's like a weird scenario because for the most part, this doesn't really have much other music to it besides the Marilyn Manson song and that one, and then just more atmospheric music after that. So yeah, they, it definitely does seem like a nineties soundtrack and, uh, very much in line with what you would expect to see from some of the, the music videos of the time. So it's, it's probably uh, somewhat influenced or even directed by somebody who did some 90s music videos. Um, but other than that, I don't really have anything else for this. You? 
think we pretty much hit on most of it that we uh, wanted to cover. Yeah. It's not uh, definitely not Robert Kurtzman's best work in effects. Yeah, no. Oh, uh, one thing that we didn't talk about real quick is the ending. Because the ending uh, does... Have, it's a shitty ending. It's weird. It's it uh, makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. So, uh, both Sarah and uh, Tate Diggs' character make it out alive. They actually end up outside Puff, of Puff the house. Eddie. Puff Eddie. Uh, <laughs> they actually make it outside of the house, and it is morning, so they've survived the night, and they are entitled to their one million dollar prize. No, they get everyone's. Well, they're entitled to their own, but they, yeah, they also get everyone who died. Um, because that was the deal. And so they find that the envelope with all of the the checks have been slipped under the the window or whatever they've escaped out of, even though they're on the top floor of the building on a cliffside, on a cliffside uh, overlooking a giant ocean or whatever it's supposed to be. Well, it's set in L.A., so you know you can assume it's supposed to be the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Um. And so they open it up. It's all the checks. And so we have to assume that for some reason the the darkness has granted them. All these checks, they're like, you know, I'm I'm thinking the darkness is like, well, well done. Uh, I guess credit where credits due. We you have to me. give you the money. Yep, we're gonna have to con you. We're gonna have to con you somehow to come back here to try to kill you again, so I can be at peace. You know, but I don't I don't really understand the whole idea of like why the darkness would grant them the checks. Well, you're supposed or... to assume it's Stephen. Okay, kind of run down like the last five minutes of this film because it doesn't make any sense. You know, I'll give Stephen Price, you know, Jeffrey Rush Stephen Price credit. He's kind of wily to survive all, you know, all the things that happened to be one of the, you know, final three. You know, it's pretty cool, especially, like, the way, like, Chris Kattan ends up getting killed and he survives. I think that's actually pretty funny how, like, he's like, open the goddamn door! And knocking on Chris Kattan hesitates to open it up and then the darkness is coming for Price and he, like, just steps out of the way and it bursts through the door and takes Kattan instead and he's able to, you know... To, you know, live for a couple more minutes, and I think that, you know, that's just pretty cool. And then just the way he's like, the house is fucking haunted! He's, that son of a bitch was right, and they, you know, they run to the attic, they f- think like, oh, that will be safe there, I guess. Right. And that's where they stumble upon the security system, because they were trying to find, because Chris Kattan thought it was in the basement. He was wrong. And, um... And so they get into the, when they get into the attic, and Price is able to try to you know get it to to operate so they can try to escape. When he sees the darkness is going to kill Sarah, he sacrifices himself. And at the, no point in this film has he shown himself to be kind of like have any noble right, characteristics. Right, like, Sam Prick. And I didn't even think of it as supposed to be like oh maybe he sacrifices himself because like, he's like well I put these pe- poor bastards in the situation and. These two aren't assholes. Everyone else here is an asshole. I mean, maybe, yeah. That's the only thing I can think of of why he would sac- you know, he sacrifices himself to save the two. But at the same time, Sarah is able to escape, and then the darkness cuts, you know, the cord, and the thing closes. And it's about to, you know, kill Eddie, Puff Eddie. And then Chris Kattan's ghost somehow breaks away from the darkness to, you know, raise the shutter open so he can escape. So how the hell, like, how did he break away? Why did he break away? Why wasn't how he, did a, he, he wasn't, you know, he was assimilated, and we've seen everyone else that got assimilated. Yeah, that it doesn't, he, it doesn't really make like, sense. Like, even though, you know, Evelyn and Steven, 
and Blackburn makes sense to be kind of trapped in the darkness because they got, you know, kind of dark hearts. You know, Bridget Wilson as Melissa, she, there's nothing really that shows, like, she's a bad person. She's just a, you know, mm-hmm. attention whore. That's it. It's not like she's a bad person. We don't really... Yeah. Because they don't really expound... There's no character development for char- her. Yeah, for you to... So that whole, you know, whole bit, like, makes no sense. And it just ends with them, like, oh, how do we get down from here? <laughs> the end. And it's like, oh, that's so fucking, you know... So fucking stupid. And not only like that, we didn't even... One thing we gotta talk about, too, is... The whole darkness in this thing is being held by, like, a fucking... Brick wall. No, no, not even a brick wall, because the, the brick's not even fully laid down. Like, someone tried was trying to brick it up, but didn't. And so, literally, like... Sheet, like a slither of sheetrock. Yeah. That's bet like, that keeps the darkness from fully coming out to kill these people. Mm. Like, it's able to, like, kind of creep out and, you know, like, with the ghost and stuff, but it can't fully escape. But with this little paper thin thing wall of sheetrock, is keeping it in, and it's only until Jeffrey Rush throws Famke Jensen through it that the darkness, like, hey, come out to play now. Yeah. Yeah, it's so you know it's like it a, it's, a, it's a dumb uh, way to have the darkness come out, but so it, you know it makes no sense. Like, what was it? Was there like a fucking like an occult circle like underneath that assault thing? circle, you know, or something yeah. <laughs> that held it in place? I don't know. Just... <laughs> All right, so out of uh, at ten Marilyn Manson songs, what would you give uh, House on Haunted Hill? I'll give it a six. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think that it's uh, it's probably uh, six, just because like some of it hasn't aged well. Obviously, um, definitely needs to have had some more character development and a little bit more time to uh, let the initial like riot and stuff play out. Um, unlike you, I don't really think that Jeffrey Rush is great as like a Vincent Price stand-in, and well, obviously, he's not gonna. No, I there's know. only just, one Vincent Price. I'm just saying, I don't. I didn't think his portrayal was particularly effective. And uh, other than that, like um, some of like the darkness, I don't really think is necessary. So some of that could have been really cut out in order to just focus more on murder and the ghosts. So six for me as well. Um, I mean, to me, it's a six. Um, I think. I do, I do like Jeffrey Rush. I know he's not, per- he's nowhere near perfect, you know, to o- being an homage to Vincent Price. But I still enjoy it. And I think he's having a lot of fun with the role and enjoying being the character. And he's got the most character out of anybody in this by a mile. I think, over, you know, so I, I really enjoy him. I enjoy, you know, Famke Jensen. I Peter Gallagher. I even though he doesn't have much to do, I do. I I do think, you know, he's just plays a great smarmy asshole. Chris Kattan, though, I made you know made fun of him and say his casting choice is questionable. He's actually not too bad in this. He playing the neurotic drunk asshole. I think you know he's a. Uh, got some pretty funny lines like from the art opening like give me my goddamn money hands i want my goddamn money you know it's like yeah you know he can be he's he's not too terrible but everyone else is just kind of there um i think the twist and new take that they've given to this film 
I like the idea. I think it has a lot of promise. I think they just did not execute it as well, nearly as well as it could have been done. Mm. I think, you know, and I think this could actually benefit. From, this isn't like one again, like I said before, like a rare instance where I think that it could benefit from a remake. I think if they were to remake House on Haunted Hill today and kind of do what they like, what they were trying to do with this, except go more into like the character, go more into like the you know pulpiness of the you know who done it, but adding that real actual supernatural element to it in the setting that they in the world they built here. I think it could be a very interesting and a very you know enjoyable horror film. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and to me, that's part of the enjoyment. I do, like, even though it is goofy and, like, it is very, like, much, like, like, I know what they're trying to do when they have, like, those cliffside shots of the asylum on the cliff, you know, it's supposed to be, like, the original and be, like, kind of like, hey, look, it's kind of like a cheap, cheap looking thing. I get what they're going for for that, but at the same time, I think it's, it's corny, but at the same time, I, like, I love, like, the Art Deco look that, you know, it's. Right. And. Yeah. All right. There you have it. You put, you, number four. You put Batman in this film, it'd be like Batman in Arkham Asylum. <laughs> um, all right, so what's next week? I'm thinking uh, the Evil Dead remake. Oh, we're going to do that? Mm-hmm. Huh? Because we got one more week of... Uh, no, actually, I think it's two more. Yeah. Um. Two more before Friday the thirteenth, so I think uh, I think we'll do the Evil no, Dead. No, we got we got one more. One more. It's just okay. this one. So we got one more week. So I think we'll do Evil Dead for next week, and then Friday the thirteenth remake. So and then Nightmare and then Nightmare. So there's your schedule. Um, you can uh, find us on iTunes and Stitcher, anything else like that. Uh, so leave us a nice review and subscribe to us on there. Um, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at blood and black rum. Uh, we also have an email at, uh, blood and black rum podcast at gmail.com. Find us on our website, blood and black rum podcast.wordpress.com. And we're also on cult exploitation podcast network at coltsploitation.com. Uh, we have a, also have a Patreon that you can donate to, uh, it's patreon.com slash blood and black rum podcast. Um, you can donate as much or as little as you want to, and that comes out monthly. So just keep that in mind when you do your pledge. Uh, other than that, thank you for listening. Uh, we hope you uh, check us out on any of those areas and uh, stay stay with us uh, as we continue our remake Ween uh, series for Halloween. Uh, we'll be back next week with the Evil Dead remake, and uh, we've got a lot more coming at you. So uh, stay with us. Thank you for listening. Take care. <laughs>